The Adam Crowley Show. Axe on. Axe off. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. Antonio Brown released a statement stating his innocence in the throwing things at children lawsuit. Hmm. Seems like that won't be hard to prove. There's only one defense. That Ben Roethlisberger was throwing the things over Antonio Brown said, and they were almost hitting the children. You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. Or you can join the cast of dozens. Follow me on Twitter, at underscore Adam Crowley. Brian LaMartina sitting across from me, shirtless Tom behind the glass. Check them out on Twitter, at FBomber73 and at ButtonPusher970. Tell your kids, tell your wife, we're doing radio up in here. I don't know why Antonio Brown's statement wouldn't just say we will let these things play out in the court. But instead he says, I am innocent of both lawsuits that I've been accused of. How hard can it be to prove that he threw those things when those things are missing from the apartment and those things were found by the pool? If the glove don't fit, you must acquit. That doesn't really apply here. Mike Tomlin was fined. For saying a bad word about NFL officiating. Those look like legitimate calls. We got to be better there. But some of the other stuff, man, is a joke. We, we got to get better as a National Football League. Man, these penalties are costing people games and jobs. Uh, we we got to get them correct. And um, so I'm pissed about it, to be quite honest with you. But that's all I'm going to say on it. That's all I'm going to say on it, that I'm pissed. And he popped the pee hard, man. You do that in radio, you're gone. If I was popping peas left and right up in here, Tom, his ass would be canned. His ass would be grass. But I don't pop my peas because Tom's on his peas and cues. Mike Tomlin, though, should be fine for that. Mike Tomlin was fine for that. And a number of people have come to Mike Tomlin's aid saying he didn't deserve it. When you criticize NFL officials, you're going to get smacked upside the head. There's going to be a check. Waiting for you at the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex. It's the way it goes. You fill out the check. You mail it back in. You've lost your cash. He's a member of the competition committee. And while he does take the sanctity of this great game very seriously, he also needs to understand that he has to set a better example for people within the competition committee. So everyone's sticking up for Mike Tomlin. Was he right? Yes. Can you say it? No. Now, the problem there is we always ask for coaches to be transparent. We always ask for players to tell the truth. And then when they do, they get slapped with a fine. But those are the parameters right now. Them's be the rules. Mike Tomlin deserved to be fined. I'm sure he'll be okay without that cash. I'm sure he'll survive. I think Mike Tomlin's done a good job with the Steelers about getting them not to be roughing the passer. I realize they've been called for a number of them, a couple in the last game, in fact, but I think that they're getting better. Early in the season, everyone was getting flagged left and right. The two flags that happened in the last game, I don't think either of them should have been. 
Jim Wexel was on the program yesterday. He said Bostic falling on Matt Ryan was a perfect example of what they're trying to get out of the game, but he wasn't forcing him into the ground with his body weight. He slipped and fell on his body weight, wound up on Matt Ryan. Now, there's a difference there to me. So Tomlin was right. As for the other one with T.J. Watt, happy birthday, by the way. He tried to get out of the way. He did everything he could not to hit the legs of Matt Ryan. So Mike Tomlin's done a good job of getting them to understand where the line is. Let's see if the National Football League can be a little bit more consistent doling out those calls. I find it nuts that the Steelers will be going to Paul Brown Stadium this weekend, the site of the Ryan Shazier injury, and people are excited about the return of Vontez Burfecht. There is an interesting juxtaposition there, ain't there? I think I'm going to feel it. I imagine the Steelers are going to feel it. I know Ryan Shazier sure as hell will when he walks out onto the field. The reminder of what went down last year. That's the only time I can remember thinking, I don't want to watch the rest of a National Football League game. I was watching it with Brian in the DVE studio because we are menches working for the Steelers radio network. And when Shazier went down, I thought nothing of it. And Brian said, look at when he flips over. He doesn't move his legs. The legs move because the body moves. And he was right. And Ryan Shazier's made a hell of a lot of progress between that point and right now. But the fact that it happened is still sobering for me. And I think it's all going to come back when you see that giant stupid-ass Bengal logo going from 35-yard line to 35-yard line. How big is that stupid cat they got in the middle of the field? It's so dumb. It's going to hit me. And then Vontez Burfecht's going to hit everyone. It's not going to feel right. Ryan Shazier may never play a game in the NFL again. I don't think it looks likely, but hey, I'm not going to tell a guy he can't work his way back. Meanwhile, Vontez Burfecht, who's a douchebag, awful human being, Good football player who uses his powers for evil, not good, will be out there on the football field. That doesn't feel right. You've heard the saying, only the good die young. Well, Ryan Shazier's a good guy who played the game the right way. Vontez Burvick's a bad guy who played the game the wrong way. And one of those guys is never going to play football again. And the other one continues to maim and injure players throughout the league, and he keeps getting second chances. It's going to happen again on Sunday. He can't help himself. He's like Tom Wilson. Playing the game's not enough for them. They have to add an extra level of violence. Football's a violent sport. It doesn't have to be that violent. Ball flies over Antonio Brown's head. You don't have to take his head off. Ben Roethlisberger gets hit. You don't have to land on him with your full body weight and separate his shoulder. When you wind up hurting Le'Veon Bell, you don't have to get up and celebrate. You monster. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be messy. It's going to be what we expect from Steelers Bengals. He can't help himself. He's going to kill someone. Maybe Juju Smith-Schuster. And Juju's going to give it right back. It doesn't only go one way here. People like to point to the 2015 wildcard game and say, wow, the Bengals really came undone. Steelers kind of came undone too. Steelers were up by a couple of scores. They blew the lead late, and the only reason they won the game is because they got bailed out by Cincinnati, but they could have easily been called for similar penalties. 
Mike Munchak is pulling players' hair on the sideline. Joey Porter all up in the middle of the field at Paul Brown Stadium. Steelers didn't hold it together there either. It's going to be messy. And the Steelers need to be wary of that because if you lose this football game, if you get overly emotional, you ain't winning the AFC North. I don't have a lot of faith in the Bengals. I think they're a playoff team. I don't think they're a division championship type team. But if they get to 5-1 and one, and the Steelers drop to 2-3-1, and one, kiss it goodbye. You're two and a half. Carry the one plus one. You're two and a half games back going into November. This is a huge stress uh, stretch for the Steelers, and they absolutely can't afford to go into Cincinnati and allow their style of play and their nonsense to affect the way that they play in this game and the next couple of games moving forward. I don't think all AFC North football is the same. Marquise Pouncey told our buddy Mike Pursuta that this is just another AFC North football game. I don't buy that at all. As I mentioned, Ben separated his shoulder. A.B. lost his head against Cincinnati. Le'Veon's been hurt twice. Juju broke perfect and drooled over him like he's Jack Lambert. I think the Steelers respect the Ravens. I know the Steelers respect the Patriots and what they've been able to do. I don't think the Steelers at all respect the Cincinnati Bengals for a number of reasons. One, they're like the little kid who wants to play but can't hang physically. In the playoffs, Steelers beat them. Six times in a row, Steelers beat them. 17 times out of 20 at Paul Brown Stadium, the Steelers beat them. And instead of playing football to try to even the score, Cincinnati tries to even the score between the whistles. Or after the whistles. And the echo of the whistles. I don't know. Whatever Wolfley says, that's what they do. It's not the same. Now, Steelers-Ravens of old was like that. Guys would get hurt. Guys would get maimed. I always point to the AFC Championship game when Willis McGahee gets knocked out at the same time as Ryan Clark. That's what happened. Carnage happened in that rivalry. But those teams respected each other because they were both great. The Cincinnati Bengals are paper champions, man. Cincinnati Bengals, they're going to win the division and do nothing else with it. Maybe the Steelers have fallen into that category of late. But I don't think they respect them for a number of different reasons. 412-922-2874. Ray Fittipaldo is going to join us coming up at 520 to discuss everything going on with the Steelers. And how does he view that Bengals-Steelers rivalry? We've got Tom Janad, senior writer for ESPN. He'll be joining us at 440. Not to talk about sports, though. He was great buddies with Fred Rogers. I always say Rogers like it's that Allstate commercial. Fred Rogers like Mr. Rogers, not like Rogers. So we'll join him. He'll join us. We'll talk to him coming up at 440. The Penguins, they're back in action tonight. Feels like forever. What the hell's up with that? Hockey season's back. They play two games in a couple of nights. Then they have to wait an extra week before they play the next game. Hey, I don't think anybody should complain about it, though, because the Penguins are actually getting a schedule break this year. Last year, after back-to-back cup championships, after playing more hockey than any team in the league, had the most back-to-backs in the league. And their legs, by the end of the season, were obviously not there. I think people made too much of it, but we saw the way the Penguins played in the second of back-to-backs. It wasn't good enough. Well, now the Penguins are, for the second time this season, getting a team that's already played the night before. 
Earlier on in the year, they played Washington after they played Boston. Now they're going to play Las Vegas after they played Washington. So the Penguins should be able to get their game going, as Dan Bilesma would say tonight. I'm interested in seeing how they respond. Champions, when they're challenged, they step up to the plate. For example, today, I was trying to learn the cheese teas. Anna Kendrick, Cups, good song, couldn't remember the lyrics. Tom challenged me, and I stepped up to the plate. I'm a champion. I'm a man. The crown man. I'm interested to see if the Penguins take everything that Mike Sullivan's been shoving up their bum holes and turns it back around on Washington. They're playing Las Vegas. Flurry. So, wait. May get the start tonight. I'm not sure. Second of back to backs. How the hell is Sullivan coaching these guys? We're not even sure who they're playing, honestly. What? So, who knows who's playing goal? Well, they're going to shove it up Washington's backside while playing Vegas. Oh, I got you. That's what's going to happen. Oh, uh, yeah, obviously. Jeez. All right. Matt Murray's not going to play. That much is confirmed. Casey DeSmith will get the start for Pittsburgh. And it really made me go back and look at Marc-Andre Fleury's career. Say what you want about the guy. Sometimes didn't have great playoffs, although the last one he did have was spectacular AF. He didn't always have the greatest regular seasons either, but at least he was there. We'll get more into that coming up in hour number two of the program. Coming up next, TJ Watt has a solution for the Steelers' intensity and how to keep it up. It's a bad one. It's Crowley Show. The Adam Crowley Show. Sidney Crosby got rubbed by the glove on power play. And they're, that's it, Rob. You guys looked at each other like I said rubbed. And, yeah, and then you added by the glove. Oh, we got rubbed by the glove? You're going to have to yank that one, Tom. Please go ahead and pull that for me. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. Brian tweets at underscore Adam Crowley. Crowley show. Some believe in AB. I'm sh- oh. <laughs> there, there was there was no comma, so I read it. I read it Anchorman style. Let me reread it. <laughs> Crowley, show some belief in AB. I'm sure AB was rearranging his furniture when he slipped in his socks and the vase fell out the window. That's a possible scenario. It could have like happened. That. And then he was so mad about the vase falling out the window, he just started throwing all the other things in his apartment out the window. Exactly. It's just a domino effect. No, you know what happens sometimes in hotel rooms is that that hurricane force winds can come out of nowhere. Like, it's it's something that a lot of people don't know why, and science is trying to figure it out. But these hurricane winds start out of nowhere. And when they do, they'll blow your furniture and your possessions all the way around. And I have a hunch that that's what blew the $80,000 away as well. You know, I think that's a really good theory, and I think I can lend a little bit to that. You ever open a door on one side of the room, and the door on the other side of the room jiggles a little bit? See? There you go. That's like, exactly what happened. Yep, the pressure thing. Mm-hmm. Something about pressure. In fact, in my house, if you close the downstairs front door, the door in our attic goes... Does it? That, yeah. yep, that it, just sounds like a, a ghost, right? Like a demon kind of thing. No, that's just pressure. Pressure? Yeah. That far away, though? The front door to the attic? 
Eh, that's a pretty fr- if it was front door to kitchen door like then that's pressure but that's a whole different flight of stairs have you ever heard of the butterfly effect yes if, if a butterfly on the other side of the earth flaps its wings it changes everything going on on the earth if that can happen then me closing my front door can make my attic door jiggle yeah right. so you see your honor clearly Antonio Brown is not guilty case closed rest my case that was coming to you from Twitter. I got this from Twitter as well. It's a poll, at underscore Adam Crowley. Let's get to this before we get into TJ Watt and what he wants the Steelers to be doing that the Steelers aren't allowed to do. I put this out there. Shirtless Tom has never been to a concert. I've never seen the Goonies. Who has committed the greater offense? <laughs> Tom, I, I hate to tell this to you, buddy, but 53% of the audience say you've committed the greater offense. Crowley, I think the greater offense here is is your dishonesty in that initial poll. Could not agree more. Wait, what's dishonest about it? You well, want- first of all, do oh, you want me to take it? Go first ahead, of Tom. all, uh, I've been to a concert. I went to Billy Joel 2016 PNC Park. I know we've talked about it either on the air or off the air. Because I remember how excited you got by hearing the news that I was at the same concert you were back in 2016 before yep. we even knew each other. I remember the conversation. So you you know you you had that knowledge when you put the poll poll out. Wait and a second, let's go point by point here. Okay. Well, there's a lot of them. Okay. Well, this is point number one that I will I will have a rebut to. Tom, there was one song that was played that night that was not by Billy Joel. What was the song and who performed it? Toby Keith. Nope. <laughs> Kenny Chesney. It was Kenny Chesney. I was hammered drunk. What kind of question is that? Dude, he was in country. It's a concert. I'm not, what am I supposed to be at a concert, stone sober, just watching it? You, have you ever concerted before in your life? Wait, don't you turn this around on me. Well, You've never I mean, concerted before in your life. And what was the song? I don't know any Kenny Chesney songs. It wasn't a Kenny Chesney song. It was Back in Black by ACDC as performed by Billy Joel and... By Kenny Chesney. Well, that's ironic. I rest my case. Tom was not at the concert and has never attended a concert in his life. I mean, I was back and blacked out. I don't know what to tell you. What's point number two, Tom? Well, the way you framed it with the movie part of it, where you've only never seen the Goonies, that's completely false. The whole argument is that you haven't seen all of these classic movies, and the Goonies was just the tip of the iceberg that we were going to try to start to... What's the right word to immerse you into movie culture with? Yeah, to get you all knowledgeable. Yeah, exactly. So you framed it to the Twitter audience as if, oh, this, the only classic movie that I've ever not seen is The Goonies. It's like the one thing on my bucket list that I still have to get to, and I just haven't. Yeah. When that's not true at all, there's a plethora of movies to get to. Like this is ha- just the start. You haven't seen any movies, quite frankly. Well, quite frankly. Well, you guys didn't let me finish, okay? What because you, it was Twitter. You had all the time in the world to finish. I haven't, because every day from here on out, I'm going to post the movie that I haven't seen that you guys want me to see, and I'll ask if that's a greater offense than Tom never having been to a concert But before. again, intellectually dishonest, because... Because every time somebody dips into there, they're going to assume that Tom has never been to a concert and that you've seen every other movie except for the one that you're presenting in that week. And I've seen a concert, so you're just lying. But going back to point A, that's a lie initially. I think we can all agree that I debunked your point A. Um, we can debate whether or not it was so. intellectually dishonest the rest of the way, but you were just trying yesterday to... Make it seem as though I had never seen Elf by asking me questions about the movie. I happen to ask you questions about the concert, and, well, Tom, you weren't able to answer them. What year was that concert? 2016. I mean, come on. Girl. Wasn't that long PNC ago. Nancy Park. Wasn't that long ago. Come on, Tom was... I was average. definitely there. I know I was there. 
Uh, what color shirt was Bill Joe <laughs> Red. No, you don't know. It wasn't red. If, it 100% wasn't red. If Tom knew, he would have answered faster. Got this tweet from Vinrock. If this was a real lawsuit... Oh, God. I gotta, you got to screen these. i got to screen these, stop man. Doing this. People just, don't use punctuation on Twitter.com. Just get through it now. The truth will come out. Florida doesn't play with violence. He would have been arrested if there was a real threat to people. Are you trying to explain away Antonio Brown throwing things off his balcony from 14 floors up? Crowley, it's not like it hit a baby. I mean, look, there's a huge difference between hitting a baby and almost hitting a baby. We can all agree on that, right? And if the baby, I mean, has anybody asked the baby how the baby feels? I haven't heard the baby say a word. All I've heard is a cooing, cuckoo-cuckoo. It's not saying it didn't like it. How do I know it's traumatized, okay? I will say rest this. My, rest my case again. In defense of your point and Vinrock's and Antonio <laughs> Brown's, the dude who's suing A.B., says that the kid's not sleeping through the night and crying and having night terrors and they're blaming Antonio Brown for it. Hey, welcome to freaking parenthood, man. The kid cries overnight? Jeez. Yeah, who can I sue? Let me Oh wait, there we go. Woohoo. So Antonio Brown's throwing things off a balcony. TJ Watts throwing terrible takes out there. He wants the Steelers to have more padded practices. And he says it'll help the team remain physical. Chris Hoke, former Steeler, gave that statement the rubber stamp of approval on Twitter.com and agreed with his sentiments. Here's the deal, TJ and Chris Hoke. No team can practice more in pads. <laughs> well, we'd be able to keep up our intensity if we were able to practice more in pads. Hey, TJ. You know who practices just as much as you in pads? Every other team in the National Football League. And you know who's able to keep up their intensity? Every other team in the National Football League. So while I get that it's frustrating that you're not able to practice real football before playing real football, no one else is able to practice playing real football before playing real football. So it's not a solution that only the Steelers can come up with. It's one that the league would have to figure out. <laughs> and, buddy, there's only going to be less padded practices from here on out. The next CBA is going to come out, and you boys going to have to be pulling flags off of one another before the game's on Sunday. Guarantee you the meetings, and there will be walkthroughs that are FaceTime. <laughs> the next players in the next CBA. They'll be like, yeah, you got to show up for your FaceTime walkthrough. Right. We can't even have that many big, giant men in the room together <laughs> because if they fall down, then all the other big giant men fall down, and then they'll fall on the small people. They'll get crushed, and oh my god, then there really would be a lawsuit. Yep. Got this one from Dugan. Screening. 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 Approved. At underscore Adam Crowley, tell Button Pusher 970 I'll take him to a death metal show. Cannibal Corpse is coming up. I won't murder him in the woods, and he doesn't even need to wear a shirt. Tons of shirtless sweaty guys in the mosh pit. See, I feel safer at that concert than I do at that cabin. If you guys go, I'll go with him. I'd go. You're in? I'd go, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I actually know that guy. He's my plumber. Is he? You don't want to go to the woods with him, but you huh. would like to go to a concert with him, which is what we're discussing. Yes. Got this one again from Vin. Get the hell out of here. Stay out of my mentions, man. He says maybe the footage shows no baby at the pool, and it's a lie. I hadn't even 
considered that. I, I'm not sitting here attempting to be the defense attorney for Antonio Brown because, my God, you'd have to pull your hair out. Put A.B. on the stand. That'll go well. I'm sure it'll be fabulous. Expertizalism. Once again, Adam, I go back to the facts at hand. Has that baby said that he was by the pool? No, he has not. So, therefore, you cannot say that that baby was definitely beside that pool. And was Hey, does that father know what pool he was beside? He may have been beside a different pool with a different baby. Who knows? If the baby doesn't sit, you must acquit. Should you even have a little kid like that and let him run around the side of a pool? I mean, that's the lawsuit I'd be filing. Yeah, it's it's just all weird, isn't it? Like, it really does. Like, you almost want to give him the benefit of the doubt just because it's so weird. Like, I can't wait to hear the excuse. Don't get me wrong. But, like, it it's so out there that you're like, okay, I kind of got to see if this is somebody who's mad at him and just kind of, like, blew something up that was maybe a little thing. Like, maybe, like, a piece of paper flew out and he's like, oh, my gosh, it's a vase or something like that. I just can't wait to see, honestly. The visual of Antonio Brown walking into his apartment, though, going, where's my 80 grand in my gun? And then just tearing the place apart and throwing things out the window. I, I need for that to have actually happened. That that needs to have been something that went down. Because if it's not, well, actually, at least I've got it still in my head. Coming up next, Tom Janote, a friend of Fred Rogers, joins me to talk about the only movie I've ever seen which is the Fred Rogers documentary I watched the other day. Looking forward to it. It's Crowley Show. The Adam Crowley Show. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. There's something Tom and I have to clear up. We'll do that after we talk to our next guest, Tom Janot, who writes for ESPN, but he's also a good friend of Fred Rogers. I just watched the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? I was deeply moved, and I'm very excited to be talking with you, Tom. Thanks for taking the time today. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, I guess we'll start with the exposition. Uh, when did your friendship with Fred Rogers begin? I got assigned to write a story about him in uh, 1998 when I was uh, working for Esquire. I was pretty uh, recently. I was, I guess, I'd been a year at the magazine, and we were doing a, uh, a cover, you know, like an issue, a whole issue on American heroes. And some, you know, some wise guy editor thought we could do Fred Rogers, basically, and you know, wouldn't that be amusing, or you know, wouldn't that be funny? And uh, so I went out to do it, and. You know, it turned out to be kind of a life-changing thing. Well, that's interesting that you thought that they thought, oh, wouldn't that be funny? Um, but as the documentary showed, and you would know certainly better than I, that, I mean, he was a lot deeper than I think maybe a lot of people gave him credit for. Yeah, I mean, he was a, he was a, you know, a, a, you know, children's TV show host. Um, but at the same time, um, I mean, I think that you see this in the documentary. I mean, really, from the first frame to the last, you go, "Oh man, this this guy's this guy's a different sort of human being." You know, he's a he's a singular character, and um, you know, for all his soft spokenness, was uh, a, a powerful figure. What was the nature of your friendship? How much did you guys communicate? 
Well, we, you know, I mean, I, I wrote, uh, you know, I went to, met him in New York City, uh, came down to Pittsburgh, uh, saw him, you know, spent some time on the set, and then came again and saw him, um, you know, went with him to Latrobe where he grew up, took, took that trip, which is all, you know, described in the story. And, you know, then I saw him, you know, after the story came out, um, I visited him, I guess, you know, I don't know, about a month later, also in Pittsburgh. And then, I, you know, I never, I never saw him again in person, but I had like, I don't know, like 500 emails from him. He was, uh, he was the kind of guy who, well, I say the kind of guy as if there's like other guys like him, but he was a person who, you know, woke up five o'clock every morning, um, in order to pray for people in his life. And I was one of those people. I thought maybe the most staggering thing uh, among all the staggering things in the documentary was that uh, for a long stretch of his life, he would weigh himself and he would be 143 pounds. And it was his nomenclature for I love you. Um, right. And right. That, that I mean, that I think that tells you what kind of guy he was. Well, I mean, it does. But when you when you think of it, I mean, I mean, I, I, I just stepped on the scale today and. I weighed, you know, different than I weighed yesterday, and the day before that, it was different from, you know, from the previous day. I mean, a person's weight goes all over the place, but I have to say that when I was with him, and, you know, he was, because he used to swim a mile every morning, and when I went to the Pittsburgh Athletic Club with him, and he stepped on the scale, I mean, it went to 143 the way a, a compass hits true north. <laughs> it was like kind of freaky, to be honest with you. And but that's what I mean. Apparently, that was what he was able to do. I mean, and I think that that's one of the interesting things about him, is that you know people people don't realize um, how disciplined he was. He was just a you know a ferociously disciplined character with an extremely you know soft spoken veneer. When I see someone like Fred Rogers, and like you said, not many like him. Being the cynic that I am, I think he must be too good to be true. Uh, I guess he wasn't, in, as far as you are concerned. No, I mean it was definitely, definitely not. I mean, you know, I, I, I did spend enough time with him. You know, I called him. You know, I called the last time I spoke to him was um, Christmas Day, two thousand two. I called him to tell him a story that I had just been through, and you know, from the moment I met him in New York City to the time um you know when i you know had my last kind of phone conversation with him he was always the same guy i mean always he was always he was always soft-spoken but he always had that sense of uh spiritual purpose that he brought to most conversations it was really amazing tom Jano joining us here from espn it is the crowley show do you think that the documentary did a good job of telling the story of his life I think it did beyond a good job. I mean, you know, I went out to, to Los Angeles to do that. They asked me to come out to, to you know, to be interviewed. And, you know, I mean, you, just like any interview, you know, you do it, and you're like, okay, I, I hope this comes out well. You know, you have no idea. I didn't even know if the thing was going to get made, to be honest with you. Then, I, you know, I go to see the premiere of that thing in Pittsburgh, and I was staggered. Uh, you know, it's so it's so good. And... You know, it just keeps, it does what most documentaries don't do, which is just, it keeps on building and building and building until the end, like, you know, half the, half the, the movie theater is weeping. It's, it's, you know, it was an amazing experience to be part of something that turned out so good. 
I was naive to a lot of the things that he had done, and we touched on this briefly earlier, but I think people who weren't as familiar with the show or who didn't care enough to learn, frankly, thought the show was simplistic, but, I mean, that's so off-base. He was dealing with so many deeper things that I think a lot of people struggle to bring to children, and that is incredibly important. Yeah, I mean, I think that the thing with with Fred is that he was, you know, an extremely complicated person who, you know, the source of his power was that he kept things really simple. I mean, really simple. You know, I remember there's a there's a story, um, you know, where he had he was coming out with like a, a children's a doctor's guide to dealing with children. It was meant for doctors so that they could do a better job with kids. And he had, you know, one of his one of his staff people write it, and it was, I'm sure it was good, but it was, you know, it was complicated. And he, like, crossed out, you know, everything that she wrote and just started with one sentence, and this was a message to doctors, and it was, you were a child once, too. And, I mean, that that was the source of, of who he was and of his power. You know, he, he had that way of simplifying things, but of also looking, you know, he... And this includes me, you know, he had a way of looking at the, you know, the child in you. And it was an amazing kind of thing to experience. In talking to him and getting to have known him, did you get the sense that it was his own childhood that shaped that? Yeah, I mean, I do. I do. I think that he, um, you know, I think that he, it's his own, you know, it's all in the movie, but I think that he had a, you know, a lonely childhood. He was uh, he was a, a, a rich man's or a rich you know man and woman's son. Um, was by himself most of the time and was known as Fat Freddy. And you know, Fat Freddy became the guy who weighed 143 pounds every day and every minute of his life. Do you ever have any moments of anger? Do you ever lash out? Um, I I mean, I guess I remember. You know, I mean, he he you know he called me. You know, I mean, I definitely talked to him after 9-11, and, and you know, and I, I talked to him. Um, I remember when, you know, I talked to him when, you know, when we were, um, you know, the, the United States was, you know, invading Iraq. And, and, you know, he was not angry at it, but he was concerned. He was like, do you, you know, do you think this is a good idea? You know, I was like, I don't know. But, you know, and he was not, as, as the movie points out, you know, he was not, you know, uh, he was a lifelong Republican. But he was... You know, he he definitely had a a pretty a pretty strong sense of of right and wrong. But I mean, I never, I, you know, I've never I never heard him. I've heard him express concern, uh, but I never heard him lash out. Um, I mean, to, but to me, one of the most interesting things about him is you know how determined he was, how disciplined he was, and how stubborn he was. I mean, if he didn't want to do something. There was just no way he was going to do it. He never got pushed into anything, and he had, you know, really a strong sense of, of purpose. Um, you know, he he liked the story that I wound up writing. And, you know, we became friends until he he died. But you know, I went down to Pittsburgh once because my agent was interested in me trying to maybe write a biography of him. And for some reason, you know, and for all our friendship, he didn't, maybe because of our friendship, you know, he didn't want to do it. And he never said he didn't want to do it. He just didn't do it. <laughs> it, it just never happened, you know. 
And now they're making a movie, Tom Hanks. Uh, I saw that you were on the set. You said you were on the set. How much did they come to friends, family, to make sure they were getting it right, and how accurate do you expect it to be? Well, I was there last week, and, um, you know, uh, Fred's wife, Joanne, was there on the set. Um, Bill Eisler, who is, you know, was kind of Fred's, you know, his business manager, essentially, he was there on the set. Um, you know, the uh, Fred's director came to the set. So, I mean, there, there are plenty of people who have, you know, intimate firsthand knowledge of Fred Rogers, you know, showing up there. And I, you know, I mean, it's, um, I mean, I know that, I know that, you know, some people are, you know, looking at the way Tom Hanks is playing Fred. I mean, I know that, you know, Bill Eisler, the, his, you know, business manager who spent, you know, really every day with Fred was just completely, I, I mean, almost freaked out by the accuracy of Tom Hanks portrayal in, in one of the scenes. Last thing here for you, Tom. Uh, how do you think that Fred would take it today, seeing the way that things are? Yeah, I thought I thought of that question um, a lot, but I, I think that he would. I think that he would try to do what he always did. I mean, he was you know he really was unwavering in his purpose. I don't think you know he was not a situational person. I mean, he was a he was a Presbyterian minister who felt it was his calling to reach out to people, to children. Yeah, he, I mean, definitely he, you know, I mean, you know, in certain ways he talked to kids like they were adults and he talked to adults like they were children. And I, I can't see him being, you know, angry because everybody else is angry. I can't see him being a divisive figure because that's what's rewarded in our culture. I see him being Fred Rogers no matter what. Tom, really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much for it, and uh, we'll talk soon, maybe. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank I you. Always, I always enjoy talking about Fred. We love hearing you talk about him. Thanks again. All right. Take care, man. Bye. Bye. That's Tom Janot. Why did I do that? I don't know, man. It's weird. I, I could see it coming. Too. I can't I land the dismount. He kind of shot the look over to me like, all right, here we go. We're going to try to do this. And then he tried to like drop him, and it just went right it's down. your Achilles heel. You just can't say <laughs> bye to people. <laughs> Maybe he'll see. Maybe he'll do this again. I say. For I mean, what? for what? I mean, why would he want to do that again with me? I mean, I even geez. in the middle. I don't know if you noticed, but you dropped a little thing. Like, yeah, I saw you were on the set of the movie, and it's like, oh, I mean, I read about it. Like, I, I think you caught yourself, but like, made it sound like you were at the set and you saw him there. <laughs> I was at the set. Saw him on. Me and Fred, we go way back, man. Yeah. No. God, I, I don't know what the deal is with that. I did it with. A number of the beat writers that we're having on every single Friday, and I tell them, I'll see you at the stadium. No, I won't. Don't go. I don't go. They bring free food here into the studio. Yeah. Why would I go out there for that? We have microphones here. Tom, you had another bone to pick with me about the concert, right? Yes, I did, Adam. The you, concert you uh, didn't attend? No, I was there, and uh, you came at me with some knowledge about a guest singer that Billy Joel brought out on stage with him, and I knew it was Kenny Chesney after originally mistaking it for Toby Keith, but, you know, all country guys look alike. So anyway, Kenny Chesney came out, and you said he sang Back in Black Correct. with Billy Joel. And I was a little flustered by that. I was a little taken back because, as I said before, I was there, and I don't remember that exact song being sung. So I did a little research and looked up the set list from the concert, and there was an ACDC cover. It just happened to be Highway to Hell, and covering it was the famous roadie Chainsaw. So you totally got that wrong, Carl. Kenny Chesney did make an appearance, but he <laughs> sang You May Be Right with Billy Joel.
Tom's armed with the internet. All right, I didn't go to the concert, okay? I wasn't there. I'm lying about everything. It's so sad. Deception it's really is the, so sad. Deception is now the number one virtue of the Adam Crowley show. Transparency has just gone right down the toilet. Transparency be damned. What would Fred Rogers say? Oh. He would call you an a-hole. Oh, he'd be disgusted <laughs> with you. Coming up next, Marc-Andre Fleury has had some poor postseason performances for the Penguins. Has he? Are you telling the truth? I can't tell. He's also had some heroics. Maybe. But he was a workhorse here, something you can't say about Matt Murray. I'm supposed to take your word for that. We'll get to that. Or maybe not. Next. It's Crowley's show.